over applause. Like, how do you make how do you make announcements fun? You put Annie on stage. That's basically the only way you can do that. It's tough. All right. Well, let's uh, let's just begin with a quick word of prayer as we go to the word. Um, it's always a hard transition to go from what's happening in the church to what's God saying to you right now. So we're going to just make that hard transition. So I'm going to do that by praying. Is that a good idea? Uh, so Father, we just pray that you would open our eyes to your word this morning, that our ears would be open to receive what you have to say to us. Lord, we pray that you would speak for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you again. Um, as you know, many of you, my name's Jamie. I'm the pastor here at Pullman Foursquare, along with my wife, Heidi, who is upstairs in a kid's classroom. It's the fifth Sunday, so we always have a hard time on fifth Sundays. You know, we got somebody to teach the first Sunday, the second Sunday, the third Sunday, but that fifth Sunday always pops up, and we don't have anybody specific, so Heidi's taking that today, and she's upstairs. And uh, we were talking this last week and realized that as part of the church uh, life for years, we used to come up here and like right before we'd speak or during announcements, he'd say, hey, if you're a guest with us, if you're a guest with us this morning, we want to give you a special invitation to go out to coffee with Heidi or I. And nobody ever, ever took us up on it. I know. Isn't that crazy? Because you will never get a better offer than free coffee. Ever. So if you were a guest with us this morning, I would like to invite you that you could take me or Heidi up on that and we will take you out to a free cup of coffee at the restaurant, a coffee restaurant of your choice, except for not in Italy. Um, it's got to be local, like within, you know, a mile of here. We can, go visit, we can go visit Starbucks and hang out with Angel, who's one of the managers there. Or we can go to Cafe Moro or any restaurant, anyone you want to choose. And I will buy you any size coffee you want. I will spoil you. And we can get to know each other and hang out, and I can just hear about how we can pray for you. So we just wanted to make that offer again because nobody's ever taken us up on it. We stopped offering, but realize why? Somebody someday will take us up on it, and I, too, will get a free coffee out of the deal. All right. So we've been working our way through this series called The Listening Life. And uh, one of the things I realized this morning as we were just worshiping and praying was where we started was that we have a listening God. Isn't that cool? Now, if Okay, we have to do this again, Doug. If something is cool to you, if something is, yes, that is awesome, feel free to say, yes, that's awesome, or amen, or whatever. I have to do that every week. It's just kind of like an orientation to to sermon. It's a two-way thing, right? So so let's just practice that. We have a listening God. Isn't that cool? Yes. God listens to us. He has ears that are open to the cries of his people, and that is absolutely amazing. And so we've been talking about this listening God and how we can listen to God because we often get caught in that place, right? Where we go like, I got a listening God? Well, God, let's see if I can knock your ear off by talking to you for the next however long. And it's really awesome to talk to God, but God wants to talk back. Amazing. It's even more amazing than that we have a listening God, that the God of the universe that created all things wants to speak back to us. Now, This morning, we are moving along in our series, and we've been talking about this listening God, the God who speaks, and how we listen to God. But today, we're going to take a slightly different tack, and we are preaching from the Bible. Now, this whole series is based on uh, Adam McHugh's great book, which I totally recommend. It's called The Listening Life, and I would recommend going to Amazon right now in the next two minutes and ordering it because you'll get it on Amazon Prime. You'll have it by Tuesday on your doorstep. This book is worth reading. It's not as worth reading as this book, but it is worth reading. So I would get that because it helps you understand this book. So get that book and read it. 
we've been listening to how God speaks to us. We've been listening to last week how his word speaks to us, how God speaks to us through his word. But this week, we're going to talk about something entirely different. We're going to be talking about nature. We're going to be talking about the great outdoors. We're going to be talking about how creation speaks to us. How many of you love the outdoors? Yes. How many of you love the idea of the outdoors? And we just prefer to stay indoors. Yeah, some of us. Yes. I love a good picture of a tree, right? I, I love me a good picture of fall leaves. Those are the best. They feel great. I love the outdoors, or at least special parts of it. There are parts of the outdoors I absolutely hate, like, you know, desolate deserts and, uh, you know, the, the hills of the Palouse are a little hard for me after the harvest because they're just so barren, and I'm just like, oh, I just feel so dry and dead inside. But in the springtime, when those things are green, and then you get that little frost, it's like a cupcake. You guys know that time of the year? It's like, it's like a green frosted cupcake with dark brown, dark chocolate. I want a cupcake now. Does anybody else want a cupcake? That time of year, it's like, oh, it's so beautiful. I especially love the ocean beaches, and I especially love the woods, the Douglas fir forests, especially with a river running through it. it is, those are my absolute favorite places. Like when I get up beside a river, I grew up next to a river. Uh, his name was, it was it, Peter, it was called a creek, but I lived in Alaska. So you have to understand everything is, you know, oversized there. So when it says Peter's Creek, it's actually like, it's like the Snake River. Okay, so it's Peter's River, and then the river's there. You just don't even want to talk about it. You know, it's just so big. But the rivers, you get up next to them, and it's amazing because, you know, water in of itself seems to be like silent. You know, it just kind of moves along. And yet, if you listen closely, you can hear the water going across the rocks and across the, the dirt and the banks and the fish swimming through it. It makes that sound of rushing water going past you. And it's like if you just stand there, and you just open your ears, you close your eyes, it's like all the stress and anxiety and all the worries, they just kind of like get in that water and float away. Now in Alaska, if you actually stepped into the water, it'd be really cold. So in here, in, in, in Washington State, I love to do that. I love to step out into the river and it just feels like the world's cares are just washing away from me. At Farragut this last summer, when we went camping with the church, we got out in the, the Beaver Bay Pond and got out there, and Jamie Hawes was great. He's out there, he just like dives in, and like you could actually literally watch his stress bubble to the surface and just float away. All the little kids are swimming around in other people's stress. It was kind of weird. But that's the way water works. That's the way nature works. It calms us. It puts us at ease. We uh, got a chance to go to the Redwood Forest this summer. And I, I think I got, there's, oh, there's, yeah, here's a red, a pic, one picture of the red forest. Do you know how impossibly hard it is to capture the size of one of these things? There is a place in the redwood forest that they actually have termed a cathedral. And you're like, oh, whatever, you know, people are stealing religious words and putting them in nature. And we get out of our car, and there's, there's four of us. There's me and Heidi and my, my seven-year-old daughter, Amelia, and my now 13-year-old son, Isaac. And you know how seven-year-olds and 13-year-olds are when you have them in the car together for long periods of time. They talk a lot, right? So we get out of the car, and we're all talking. All four of us are talking. We're talking loudly. We're talking to one another about the next thing we're going to do, what we're going to do for dinner, where we're going to go out to eat, whatever. And we walk in through this little forest trail, and all of a sudden, boom, you are literally in a cathedral of these massive trees, trees that were born when Jesus was born, okay? Okay. The 2,000-year-old-plus trees that just grow massively to the sky that you can't put your arms around. And you know what happened? As soon as we stepped into that spot, all of us, dead silent. 
There was people all over the place in there. You would have thought you were in a mall, except for that it was dead silent. Something happens when we walk into the presence of something so great, something so massive, that our souls even understand that this is holy ground. This is holy ground. (sighs) I'm just like in that place. I'm just like thinking about that moment of the holiness of that space. Listening to creation is as easy as taking a walk. We can just go out and take a walk, and we can hear creation speaking to us. Our souls, our spirits, naturally understand that something is being said, and our, our whole bodies respond to it. And yet, understanding what nature is saying to us is a whole different ballgame. It seems like our, understand, our souls understand, even when our minds don't. We're naturally tuned, you and I, to listen to the voice of creation. Did you know that? We are naturally meant to listen to the voice of creation, but we don't understand always what creation is saying. Why do I mean this? Let's, let's look at Genesis chapter 1. Now, Heidi tells me every time I say, hey, so I'm going to preach this Sunday, and I'm so excited. I'm preaching on Genesis chapter 1. She's like, again? You always preach on Genesis chapter 1. Could you preach? I mean, it's like, she's like, there are 66 books in the Bible, Jamie. 66? And you keep going to one chapter in the first book. It's because it's my favorite chapter in the whole thing, okay? I love this thing because it sets everything else up. When we understand this thing, all the rest of it suddenly falls into place, and it makes a whole lot of sense. But Genesis chapter 1 is uh, where, where God creates everything, right? It's where God speaks into existence all things. And he says this. I'm just going to give you one, one example, verses 3 through 4. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness— it. Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let there be, let there be light. Boom. A sun existed. Stars came into the sky. He goes on, let there be, let there be, uh, let there be land separated from the water, and the land separates from the water. Let there be birds in the air and fish in the sea, and boom, there's like, there's trout and salmon, and there's tilapia, and there's this giant, there's great big fish that are round and they're huge and they can eat people. Whatever those things are, those things exist. And octopus and squids and all this diversity and vast beauty all the way down to the deepest parts of the ocean where these intricate creatures exist with billions of pounds of pressure per square inch on them with no light. And they live there and they have this whole life where they are part of this system. All of it just spoken like God said, let there be. That's what this, this book teaches us. But I noticed something. God speaks and he says, let there be light. But who does he speak to? You ever thought about that? God speaks. He doesn't have to. He's God, right? He could just think it. He could wave his hand. He could sneeze. He could do anything he wanted, any way he wanted to. But this text specifically says that God speaks and it comes into existence. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to creation. Get this. Not only does creation speak to us, which we're going to talk about more in a minute, but creation itself has ears. Creation listens and obeys the word of the Lord. When creation came into existence, there was something out there that had an ear, and it said, oh, God spoke. I'm going to better do what it says. God spoke, and the fish came into being. The fish obeyed God. God spoke, and mountains sprung up from the earth. The mountains obeyed God. God spoke, and a sun came into existence. Even the massiveness of a sun 
obeyed the word of the Lord and when he spoke to them, came into existence. God speaks and everything comes to life. David Benner, he's a, he's a spiritual director and an author. He's writing this book, which some of our, our, we have a women's group that is studying this right now. It's called The Gift of Being Yourself. He wrote in that book this, this, this uh, little paragraph. It just absolutely struck me. He says this, In all of creation, identity, knowing what and who we are, is only a problem for humans. A tulip knows exactly what it is. So it is with dogs and rocks and trees and stars, amoebas, electrons, and all other things. All of them give glory to God by being exactly what they are. For in being what God meant them, means them to be, they are obeying him. Creation has ears. Trees, rocks, flowers, plants, supernovas, and stars, all of them, all of creation is obeying God's voice. God, God's call to be created, to exist, and to be what they were intended to be. Creation listens and obeys God's commands. But that's a little bit harder for us. It's a little bit harder for us to be exactly who God called us to be. It's a little bit harder for us to choose, and that's the key word. We have a choice. When God created the heavens and the earth, he speaks it into existence, right? We talked about that. He speaks and it exists. But when he made man and woman, when he made human beings, he did something radically different. He didn't speak it into existence. A lot of us don't, we don't think about that. We think, oh yeah, God speaks. You're, you're running over a road we've been over, Pastor Jamie. I was reading this thing and I was absolutely shocked. God builds all these things just by speaking them. Light, stars, sun, moon, planets, fish, trees, flowers. And then he says, let's make man in our own image. And so he takes from the earth dust into his hands. God gets his hands dirty as he makes human beings. And he takes that dust and he forms it into a shape like us. And then, for the first time in history, performs CPR. Because he breathes life into that creation. He didn't speak it into existence. He formed it carefully like a sculpture, like an artist. And then he breathes himself straight into that thing, and it comes to life. Unlike all the rest of creation, there is some part of us that is like creation. We have the dust of creation. That dust in us naturally wants to obey what we are called to be, just like all the rest of creation. We naturally wants to be what God has called us to be. But when God breathes into us and he gives us will and a choice to be like God so that we can create so that we can form of the dust, so that we can work and do the things that he has called us to do, we are given a choice. And so it's hard for us as part of creation to obey God because we have to make choices. And of course, we know that those choices are where everything went astray. The other day, Amelia and I were in the kitchen. I was working, uh, I was cleaning up dishes or something. I was washing dishes. And she plops up on the counter next to me. She was in the room playing with her dolls, the, the living room, playing with dolls on the floor. And she runs into the living room or the kitchen as I'm washing dishes, hops up on the counter and looks at me. She goes, Dad, that darn snake wrecked everything. It's like, what? What are you even talking about? That darn snake, he just, just wrecked everything, didn't he? Did he just blow it all? I'm like, what are you? She's like, you know, when, like Adam and Eve, like we had these choices and the snake comes in there and, and he starts telling me, oh, you need to make choices that are like this because it's going to be better for you. And the snake just wrecked everything. And I'm like, I guess so. I said, except for Adam and Eve had a choice. Adam and Eve had a choice to choose in that moment who they were going to listen to. And while the snake is definitely responsible, Adam and Eve are ultimately responsible for their choice. They chose not to be what they were created to be. And so too it is with us. 
We can hear creation speak because part of us is that creation. That's why our souls naturally understand when we're in the woods. We're bound to it. We're part of it. And yet we are set apart from it because we have been breathed life into us from by the will of God, by his very breath, giving us the ability to choose and the ability to create like God. So creation listens, but not only does creation listen to God's voice, creation also speaks. That's the first point, is that creation listens. It listens to God, it obeys, it is exactly what God intended to be and who and God intended it to be. And by listening and being, they obey. But us, we, it takes different work for us to obey. But creation speaks. It speaks the language that our souls understand, but our minds struggle to understand. Nature has a scientifically proven effect on our brain. Do you guys know this? They all, all this research. You take a person and put them out in the woods. I'm like, this is my kind of research, right? And then they put like things on their brain and say, hey, just go take a walk. And they go take a walk through the woods. And they, they, they are able to monitor how stress literally comes off of us, how it affects our brain chemistry, our emotions, and even our physical health. Our, it's not just walking that takes away the cholesterol, right? It's actually literally being immersed in nature. When you walk in the woods, there's a direct neurobiological response that supports I love this. I just like directly right off the web, okay? It supports cognitive ability. In other words, you get to think better. How many of you think better when you're out for a walk in the woods? Go for a walk. The hardest days that I have as a pastor, uh, Casey, this will happen on Mondays. You know, I'll have like this really hard thing happen and I go, Casey, I'm going for a walk. (laughs) She goes, all right. She knows exactly what's going on. I'm going out. I'm getting my head right. I'm getting my heart right. I'm going for a walk. It increases our body's resilience to stress. You struggle with stress? Go get in nature. It actually increases your ability to withstand it. Creation speaks a very powerful word right to our bodies. Be quiet and listen to the birds and the water. Revel in the amazingness of creation and you're going to find that you're being healed. But St. Augustine, he famously wrote this long poem that talks about the place of nature. He understood. He went out for a walk. He's like, oh, I'm so much less stressed. I'm so much less worry. So much. And he started looking at the trees and the flowers. And he, in this poem, it's kind of metaphorical, but kind of true at the same time. He goes, he said, so I said to the flower, flower, are you my God? And the flower says, no, I'm not your God. And he says, oh, okay. And he's walking along in the trees and the majesty of the cathedral of the trees. And he says to the trees, trees, are you my God? And he says, no, we're not your God. And he goes to the mountains and he says, mountain, are you my God? And he says, no, I'm not your God. And he goes to a lake and the lake says, no, I'm not your God either. And so finally, Augustine says, well, if all of you are not my God, would you tell me something of him? Would you tell me something of my God? And all of creation rises up in that moment and says, it is him who created us that is your God. Creation speaks and it points us to who God is. Now, in our culture, we get really confused. It's very easy to get confused because we all hear the voice of nature speaking. And many people have begun to confuse the voice of nature with the voice of God. When you go into the cathedral in the woods in, in Northern California and you see these massive trees, there are people that literally worship the trees. And that's what Paul is getting at in the book of Romans when he says to people, it says, for what has been known about, what, what is, let me read this so it's right. For what can be known about God is plain to them. In other words, we can all know what can be known about God, even without the Bible. Because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So people get out in the woods and they're perceiving something of God's eternal power, of God's creativity, of God's divine nature. They're experiencing that. And rather than assigning it to God and allowing creation to point us to God, they look at creation as an end and of itself. The created order points to something higher. And that's why Paul says that we are actually without excuse. When we look at nature, when we look at the world that has been created, its natural order, the intricacies of the human body, how if you were to look at things by the magnitudes of thousands, all the way down to a cork, to the size of the universe, we are astounded and we can't help but go, how could all of this just be an accident? There must be something more. Paul goes on to say, though that many who claim to be wise become fools, They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They worship the creator instead of, they worship the creation instead of the creator. Now, I know many of you are going, okay, we knew that, Jamie. Of course creation isn't God, you know. Tree never saved me. A tree, in fact, a tree never actually literally physically healed me. A tree never got in the middle of my my messed up marriage and, and brought healing. A tree never got in the middle of my relationships and, and made my relationships work out right. A tree never gave me wisdom that I didn't understand. I understand that God isn't creation. I'm not a tree worshiper. Creation speaks about God, but it's not God. But because creation speaks about God, there are times I'd rather go for a walk in the woods. Some of us say. Some of us would say, I'd rather just be out in nature. I don't need to go to church. I, I just go be with the trees. I just go be with the flowers. I hear more from God in those moments than I ever hear in a thousand sermons, especially Jamie's sermons. They're getting a little old and long. I hear more from God. I, I experience more of worship on a hiking trip in the mountains than I ever experience in a, in a bumping Pentecostal worship service like you guys have here at this church. Guess what? I agree with you. Be honest. I agree with you. I do often experience God more in nature than I do at church. I do experience God more in the cathedral of the Redwoods than I do in worship. Now that says something because I speak, I, I experience God a lot in worship. I mean, that's, that's my, that's my, not his own, right? That's my place. Holy Spirit, boom, there. But when I'm in the woods, it is unbelievable. And yet, creation would say to us that we are not your God, nor are we a substitute for God's people. We are not a substitute for God's people. Creation can reduce your stress, but it cannot challenge you to, be, to obey God and be who you were intended to be. Creation can bring peace, but it can't rub the sharp edges off of you that you have. That's why Proverbs says, while iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another or woman. It's always in the male in the Old Testament. Women too. Alone in the woods, you might, you might just experience peace, but you'll never provoke somebody else to love and good deeds in the woods. You cannot serve one another in love in the woods by yourself. You cannot experience how good and pleasant it is to live with God's people in purity. That's Psalms 133.1. Nor can you yourself proclaim God's love to somebody else telling them that he loves you he loves you, he loves you, he loves you because you're there in the woods by yourself. You're, you're experiencing God's presence. You're being pointed to God, but you can't point somebody else to God there. 
It's important to remember that while we were made to enjoy creation and to hear creation speak to us and to allow creation to point us to God, that it is not a substitute for God's people. And being in, in creation is not a substitute for being in community with other believers. That's a challenge to you. So yes, take a hike some Sundays. But don't, don't allow it to, to tempt you into believing that you can be better there than you can here. God speaks to creation in other ways. Creation speaks to us about who God is. But most importantly, God speaks to us through creation. You guys know that? Creation is not meant to be a replacement or an escape from community, but as the Celtic Christians have believed for centuries, it actually serves as a second book for us to learn and know who God is, a second book through which God speaks to us, this being the first. He gave us his word. He gave us his written, spoken word through the generations has been gathered here so that we can understand who God is. But God also gave us a second book called The Creation. And it points us to who God is. And God literally, just as he speaks to us through his word, speaks to us through creation. It's really awesome. If you read the Bible, throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, people use what's called an argument from creation. It's a theological perspective that the biblical authors had. They would look back at Genesis chapter 1. This is why I say it's so important to know Genesis chapter 1. They would look back at it, and they would say things like, look, all of creation is groaning and waiting for God to come. It's an argument from creation. Creation is speaking, saying, oh, we're just waiting for the return of God. We're just waiting for the natural order to come back into what it was intended to be. If you go looking for it, you find it peppered throughout all of the Bible. Genesis to Revelation, a rainbow preaches about God's mercy. The wind points us to the work of the Holy Spirit. A tree takes us back to the Garden of Eden. The psalmist declares that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies are the work of his hand. The prophets like Isaiah, Isaiah and Amos, they say that creation stands as a witness against humanity for its sin. That because it is crying out for the injustice that lives in the land. Jesus was particularly good at using creation to point out what God was saying. This is one of Jesus' wheelhouse. See, Jesus doesn't use creation as an illustration, but he points to the voice of God that is speaking through creation and helps us interpret it so we can understand what creation is saying. Let me give you a couple of examples. First one is rocks and snakes. Rocks and snakes. Jesus is teaching us about praying. That's a really important thing for, for people that are going to know God, right? We've got a God that listens. We can talk to God and that God will speak back to us. That's prayer. That's just, that's it. That's all it is. That's all prayer is. It's simple. And Jesus is teaching on prayer, and he says this to his, his followers. He says, hey, like, look over there. You see that dad with his kid? If that dad asked his son, or that kid asked his son for some, his dad for some food, and he looks down, and he sees a rock. He picks up that rock. He says, which of you sinful, messed up, earthly dads, if your kid asked you for a hamburger, would give him a stone? None of us, right? None of us. And he is, underneath that rock, it was probably a snake. That's the only way I could think he's probably thinking of this, but I, that's how it works, right? There's snakes. Have you guys ever gone to Palouse Falls? They say you are never less than four feet away from a rattlesnake if you go to Palouse Falls. How many of you are never going there again, right? So Jesus says, you wouldn't give him a rock, but you also wouldn't give him a snake. Here you go, kid, have a snake. You know, and it bites him. Jesus says, none of us would do that. Just, you wouldn't give the worst things that you can see on the ground here in creation to your son. And you know what? Your heavenly father loves you more than the best of your earthly dads. If you ask him for anything in his name, he's going to give you the best of his kingdom. Rocks 
And snakes, part of creation, become an illustration for what it's like to encounter God in prayer, to understand the goodness of God. Jesus really liked rocks, right? We looked at last week where Satan's saying, oh, you're really hungry? Turn those rocks into bread. And he's like, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of the mouth of God. Not sure why Jesus loved rocks so much, but he loved them enough so that he didn't turn those rocks into bread. He let them be what they were intended to be. The religious leaders later, as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, right before his death, it's just a few days before he's crucified, uh, it's, it's like one of those experiences where, you know, everybody loves you and then suddenly everybody hates you. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but that's life. That's how it works. So like one moment you're at the top of the mountaintop and everybody's like, yay! And then the next minute they're like, oh man, that guy, that girl, what was she thinking? Oh, this is, you know, and they're just turning against you. So Jesus is coming into the, into the city and everybody is coming out into the streets and they're all remembering all the miracles, all the times he fed people, all the things that he'd done, the lepers that he's touched, the blind people that could see, the dead people that are now living and they have got palm branches and they're waving and they're going, Hosanna, our God saves, praise the Lord, praise God. And they're just lifting up Jesus in worship in this moment. And the religious leader's like, that's not okay, you can't do that. Teacher, make your disciples shut their mouths. That was a bad pause. Sorry. <laughs> it got stuck in my throat. So Jesus turns to them and he says, how many, many of you are probably familiar with this, but here's what Jesus says. He says, I'm not going to tell them to be quiet because if they stop worshiping, if they stop praising, then even the rocks on the ground will rise up and praise. Even the rocks are going to shout. Jesus is saying, look, if nobody worships me, if you can't worship me, if you're unable to worship me, creation's going to help you out. Creation's going to worship for you. Creation's going to sing the song of Hosanna, our God saves, even if you don't or you won't or you can't. Now that's good news, right? Because there are times when we can't. It is the nature of being a believer, and I hate to break this to you, but there will be times when you can't feel God. There will be times when you feel like he is miles away. And I want you to know that in those moments, he is closer than your breath. But even if you turn and turn and turn and you can't find him, he is present. And when you can't praise, creation praises for you. And we praise for you. And we come together as a community. This is another thing creation can't do for you and support you and love you and walk with you through that because God is teaching you something and building something in you that can't be built otherwise. And creation is here to help. Creation praises for you. Jesus also was really fond of birds and flowers. I make him sound like a real granola, don't I? Rocks, and trees, and birds and flowers. Jesus is again teaching on flowers, or teaching on prayer, I'm sorry. He's teaching on prayer, and he's like, oh, birds and flowers again. Birds and flowers, guys. He teaches him the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? We all do this like right before bed. My daughter sometimes tries to do it at dinner time, and she gets stuck about halfway through, and we're all going, I kind of want to eat. And so he teaches them about this, and he says, look, prayer, asking God for your daily bread, is really about trusting Jesus, trusting God for everything in your life for every need that you have. And he goes on to say this. And this is Matthew 6, 25 through 32, if you want to look in your Bible. You want to highlight this area. He says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. How many of you need to hear that word this morning? Do not be anxious about your life. I need to hear that. Do not be anxious about your life. What you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, nor what you're going to put on. 
It's not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than them? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? I worry about what I wear every morning. I'm like, stand in my closet for 10 minutes. Like, oh, I wore that shirt yesterday. I wore that shirt the other day. I wore that shirt last Sunday. If I wear that shirt again, they're going to be like, does he always just wear the same thing? God says this, why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon, that's the greatest king to ever live, the wealthiest king to ever live in Israel, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Did you know that O you of little faith is actually a title? It's, 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 it's a name. It's, it's what we have. It's, it's like, it's not, it's not an accusation. It's not like, angel, you're such a little faith. It's just like, I'm just going to give you a hug, you little, oh, you little faith. It's like this nickname. I wish I could remember what, the, what it is in Greek. It is. It's a nickname for you and me. Oh, you little faith. I'm going to own that one. Okay, you can just start calling me that. Instead of calling me Pastor Jamie, you just call me Pastor, oh, you little faith. Because that's how Jesus calls us. And he calls us higher in the midst of it. Jesus makes an argument from creation. He says, look at this world. Look at the super abundance of this world. Look at how God has provided everything for everything that there is. When a bird obeys, the bird's got food. He's got feathers. He's got wings. He's got nests. He's got the, when the rocks. They're just obeying and being what they are. And they're beautiful in their grandeur and the mountains and, and the trees and the field. They're covered in flowers in their right seasons and their leaves are gorgeous. And you walk in the fall and it's like, it is absolutely amazing. Look how God has provided for all of this. Why can't you trust Jesus for what you need? He makes an argument for creation, and he says, don't be anxious. Trust me. So creation listens and obeys. Creation speaks, and God speaks through creation. For these reasons alone, Adam McHugh suggests this. He says, no one should exult in creation like Christians. There is not a tree hugger on this planet who should feel more glory more power, more presence in their hearts than any Christian in this room. He also says this, and no one should stand guard over the environment like Christians because we have met the king of creation and his thrones are scattered everywhere. We turn creation into a political point to fight and argue over. And I think that Jesus is calling us up and higher in and to care for this thing that he has given to us because you wouldn't want somebody drilling through the middle of your Bible to get something in the bottom of it. You wouldn't want somebody to steal this thing and use it for what they have. We should care about what God has given to us because he speaks to us in it. And I know that's unpopular for some of you. It's like, oh, you're going to be in a tree hugger. I don't think so. I think God calls us to care about what happens in this world. And I'm not saying don't get oil. I'm not saying those things. Be balanced. Come on, guys but we should care. We should care. Christians should care more than the most environmental environmentalist. We should. There's good news in all of this, and I'm coming to an end because we were going to do communion um, as our closing today. But get this. We live in a new era of creation. This is what 
what Jesus, another way he uses an argument for creation. Paul said it this way, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not an old creation, not a broken down creation. He is a new creation. God has spoken and we have come to life. God has formed us and he is breathing into us. We are a new creation, you and me. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And Jesus himself put it this way in the book of Revelations. He says, behold, which means to stand in awe and wonder. You guys remember that? You hang on to that because every time the Bible says that, stand in awe and wonder. It's like almost one of those things where you could, it says, behold, maybe it's time to get up off your seat when you're reading that and stand and be ready because God's about to say something that is absolutely mind-blowing. And Jesus says this, behold, I am making all things new. I'm not just making some things new. I'm not just getting your butt out of hell and into heaven. I am transforming you. And I'm not just transforming you. I'm transforming your community. And I'm not just transforming your community. I'm transforming your neighborhood. And not just your neighborhood, your city. And not just your city, your state. Not just your state, your nation. And not just your nation, all the nations of the earth. And not just earth, but every aspect of earth, from the lowest part of the creative order to the greatest end of the universe, I am making all things new. In the Greek... The word all literally means all. (laughs) There's no hidden meaning. All of it is being made new. So the question that creation is asking us is do you want to be made new? The question that all of creation is speaking is that do you want a fresh start? Do you want to be made new as God is wanting to make us new? Creation is longing and waiting for the people of God to be revealed and for justice to come to the earth. And creation is asking, will you be a part of the solution? Will you become new? Will you accept what God has given you? His his life has paid for you to become new. Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. That's crazy. How am I supposed to go back into the womb? That's the whole discussion, right? He's not talking about turning into a baby again, not physically. It's another argument from creation you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must become new. And God is inviting you to become new this morning. It means becoming a new creation with Jesus. And as much as the TV news says a born-again right is doing this and that and the other thing, and, and then the left is saying this, and they're like taking people that are born again and turning them into these evil Nazi people, that is not what Jesus is talking about. He is saying that you have to be born again to a new political position. He is saying you are born again into new life. And that new life changes your perspective on everything. Everything means that we're open to a conversation on our sexuality. We're open to a conversation on our politics. We're open to a conversation on our finances. We're open to a conversation on our marriages and our children. We are made new in every way, and God is going to speak to us as he wills and in his time, and we are going to be changed and transformed and made new. And someday, at the end of all things, those of us who are born again, 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 will stand with all of creation made new, and it's going to be Genesis 1 again. All that God has spoken into existence will obey his voice. All that God has created will be restored and fixed. All the broken and hurt places will be healed. And we will stand and we will be able to worship the Lord together. Worship team, would you guys come up? We're going to uh, end this time by celebrating communion. And communion is, it's a symbol of what Jesus did for us. And it's also an offering of Jesus to us. 
and he used common, everyday creation elements. They take grapes, and they squash them, and they make wine or juice. And he says, this, this from the earth, he says, this is now no longer just a part of creation. This is my blood that is shed for you so that you can be something new. Creation speaks to us of what Jesus did. And he takes bread, which comes from the wheat of the field. The wheat is planted and it grows and it's harvested and then it's crushed and it's broken and it's mixed and it's kneaded and it's hurt all along. And then it's made into this bread and Jesus breaks the bread again and he says, this that comes from creation is my body that's broken for you. Will you take these things into yourself to remember that I am making all things new, to remember what I've taught you, to remember how the trees and the, and the flowers tell you something about God's abundance toward you, how the rocks will praise if you can't. Will you remember who I am and what I've done for you? This morning, I'm going to have our communion service come. And uh, would you guys come down now? They're going to break the bread, and they're going to come over here and over here. We're going to have two folks over here with these elements, and they're going to be on these sides. We're also going to have two folks on either corner that are here for prayer. And this morning, you might be, uh, Kayla, would you just go ahead and, and bless it and break it and share it out? Um, you might just be in this place where you need to respond to something God said to you. Uh, maybe God is calling you this morning to find new life in Him. And it's an invitation. And you can come and receive the ministry of prayer from people on either side here. They're going to pray with you, anoint you with oil to remind you who is in charge it's the Holy Spirit's work. It's not your work. And in whatever it is that's going on in your heart and your mind, if you just want to receive prayer, you can come down. And the, the worship team is going to play a song. Uh, it's called So Will I, which is really about creation teaching us about God's work and us obeying. So I'm going to bl- pray and bless these elements, and we're going to play this song. And I'm just going to invite you to come as you are. Come as you are. Come as you will. Maybe do business with Jesus first, and then receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and in it, remember that you are being made new. So Jesus, we just pray, as you did, a blessing over these elements, and we ask that you would speak to us through them, that we would be united with you again in your body and in your blood. In Jesus' name, we say thank you for them. Amen.